Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. Um, okay, so am, am I on, Garth? Yeah? Okay, so um, this is the final one of our um, sort of kind of our mini series in Acts, um, talking about the church is born and um, really, I suppose, encouraging us in mission. It's kind of come over to September. It should have finished uh, in August, but for various reasons it didn't. Um, and it's interesting how our series ends. It was good last week. Um, Peter kind of um, did a bit of an overview, really, of the series, which, is, uh, which was a good thing to do because... Our series doesn't end in a way that had I really thought about it, I would have ended it, yeah? Because um, it doesn't end with a happily ever after. Uh, it kind of ends in what could look like failure and in quite a, a, almost in a brutal fashion. That God's plans and promises are being fulfilled, but they're being fulfilled in ways that we might never have imagined. And um, that is often the way with God. It was definitely the way here in this story of Acts. So I want you to try and put yourself in this moment, if you can. So we've done the first six chapters of Acts, and it's all the Holy Spirit, and people are being saved, and the church is born, and people are being healed. And yes, there's opposition, but God's doing some amazing things. And then things change, really, in chapter 7, and it becomes, uh, I suppose, a different deal. It becomes a different deal. And I want you to imagine that you're part of that early church, that you are, um, you're among the people when they're thinking about how do we deal with our widows, that maybe you're, you're in those discussions. You've, you've joined the people, and to this point... Everyone on the outside kind of looks upon the church with favour and with fear. Yeah, oh, you're one of those people. There is something about the church that uh, draws people. And then towards the end of chapter 6, we find a moment where Stephen, who's just one of the disciples, he's been asked to, he's a waiter. Okay, I've, I've belittled him a little bit, but he's a waiter on the tables. That's his role. That's the only recognised role he's given. But actually, he's a man full of miracles and power. Um, he is singled out. Yeah, I want you to imagine for a moment being singled out or one of your best friends being singled out among the people, by, by a mob, if you like. He gets singled out, and in that moment, he has to give some kind of explanation for what is happening. Yeah, And we've read this before. Um, a crowd gathers, Peter preaches. A crowd gathers, Peter preaches. And when that happens, when Peter preached, uh, people got saved, someone got healed, various things happened. That is not what happens when Stephen preaches. There is a moment when Stephen is singled out, he's arguing, and now there's a moment where he is out there in front of the crowd. Yeah? But it's a different kind of crowd, not necessarily different people, but certainly a different moment in their life. And if you know the story, he recounts the history of Israel and he refers to them right up front as brothers and fathers. He's aligning himself with them. He's saying, look, I'm one of you. 
He aligns himself with them and he recounts the familiar history of the people of God because that is what they were, the people of God. He talks about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. He talks about the Exodus. He talks about Moses. We don't need to read it all. It's there in chapter 7, verses 1 to 53. And he talks, interestingly enough, about David and Solomon and the temple. The temple being the place at that time where the presence of God would dwell. He talks about it to the people. He aligns himself with them. He talks about the history, but he also talks about that history in which the people of God were rebellious towards God. Yeah, that one of the reasons the history had the kind of journey that it took was because of their rebellion. One of the reasons they spent 40 years in the desert was rebellion. It wasn't just because God was preparing them as a nation and he wanted them to be just right. It was because they rebelled. Actually, they reached the edge of the promised land within 40 days. But it took them 40 years to cross over because of rebellion. And he talks about that with the people. And, it, and, he, and at one point he says, you know, God did all these things and our fathers did not listen. Our fathers did not obey. So Stephen's talking to the people, the people of God, the people of Israel. And no doubt, as he's speaking, his friends, his fellow disciples, the seven, he was part of that group, the apostles, no doubt they're praying. Yeah, They're watching him as he's communicating to this crowd and no doubt, because we know this is what they were like, they're praying, but maybe also there is a sense of foreboding. This doesn't feel the same, does it? This doesn't feel the same. Stephen wasn't necessarily sensing a moment for the kind of response that Peter had had. Yeah, Peter speaks to the crowd and the crowd kind of answer him, what should we do to be saved? That is not this moment. Peter's not, uh, Stephen is not sensing this moment. He's not sensing this is a moment where they are enjoying the favour of the people, where the priests are coming to faith. This was different. This moment, and when you get a mob and a crowd... People do things in a mob and a crowd that they would never do as an individual. Yeah? You know, if, I, if I'm just talking to you as an individual, it's very rare that I'm going to stand in your face and scream. Yeah? That, that, you know, I mean, we don't normally communicate like that as individuals. It's very rare if you're going to correct me that I would put my hands on my ears and shout. Yeah? So I don't hear you. We don't normally communicate like that as individuals, but crowds and mobs sometimes do different things. So this crowd is tense, it's angry, and I'm sure the disciples, just imagine this for a moment, are thinking, surely not. Surely not. This hasn't happened every time God has delivered us from this moment where we've been persecuted, God's delivered us, God's brought us out, surely not. But Stephen doesn't hold back in his final words. And we're going to pick up the story in verse 54. So Stephen then says to the people, you stiff-necked people, 
That's a good way to encourage people around you. You stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You have received the law that was given through angels but have not obeyed it. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said. Now they don't see what he sees. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep and Saul approved of their killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen. And mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Father, we thank you for your presence with us today. Thank you for the truth that we've sung about. Thank you for the lives and the stories we've heard about. And we pray that your word might impact our lives, even in these moments. In Jesus' name. Amen. It's our plan this morning to have a, a time of praying together, of ministry. Um, so I'm just going to try and walk through this quickly, if I can, um, to help us get there. Stephen begins respectfully. I talked about being stiff-necked. It's almost like when it talks about stiff-necked, I mean, it's not a phrase we use. I've never called anyone stiff-necked personally. Um, I've only never read it in the scripture, but it's like, it, another way of describing it is people who are unbending, people who are unsubmitted, people who hold their position no matter what they hear. It's like, I don't want to even hear the truth. I don't even want to know that there's truth. That was what these people were like always reacting to the truth. Even when it exposes your sin and your motives, you're like, no, 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 I don't want to hear it. Don't want to hear it. That's what they were like. And that's what the gospel brings to people who don't believe it. You need to understand, the Bible says the gospel is good news. It's good news for those who believe. It's good news if you believe it. But if you don't believe it, then it's not, it's not so good news. It's good news for those 
who believe. And this crowd, it says, they were furious and they gnashed their teeth. Now, I don't know where those expressions come from. I, I sense that they were very, very angry. Now, the only other time the Bible speaks of that in Matthew 8, verse 12, is when it's talking about, um, I suppose it's talking about hell and people not being with God. And it says, where they go, there'll be great weeping and gnashing of teeth. That kind of, I suppose, intense anger that they had. The members of the Sanhedrin, supposed to be the responsible people of Israel, are gnashing their teeth and they are furious at what Stephen is saying. And you may not have received such a response to the gospel. You may have received a response which is much more apathetic. Oh, well, okay. Yeah. But here, this wasn't an apathetic response. This was a reaction. This was anger. We don't want to hear it. Why? Because actually, if they even listened for a moment, they would realise that the gospel was their biggest judge. And you, who wants to hear that? Who wants to hear that? They gnashed their teeth. And then there's this moment where it talks about, um, they, 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 they rush at Stephen. Um, but it's really interesting, in their rushing and their dragging, it says Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit. Now, we don't often associate the Holy Spirit with such a moment. We associate the Holy Spirit often with just warmer moments. I don't necessarily associate the Holy Spirit with a moment where he is being dragged outside the city to be murdered, and in that moment, he is full of the Holy Spirit. Note that. Note that. And one of the signs is he has this vision. He looks up to heaven. He sees the glory of God. He sees Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. And he says, look. Look, I see heaven open. So though here on earth there is something going on which is violent and brutal and to the onlooker would have looked awful, but Stephen in that moment has a completely different picture. He's looked up. He's seen Jesus. Yeah? And what's Jesus doing at the right hand of the Father? What do we know he's doing there? He's praying for him. We know that. He's praying for him. So he speaks. They cover their ears. They're not listening. They don't want to hear the truth. And then you have this amazing, I think it's an amazing moment, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed. Now, we're not talking about Jesus here. Yeah? We all know about the benevolence of Jesus. We all know about the grace of Jesus. While he's on the cross and he's hanging there and, and they're killing him, he says, Father, forgive them. We know about that. That's the Son of God. Stephen is a waiter. Stephen is a waiter. And whilst they are licking him with the stones... He prays. Now that's a presence of mind. There is something going on there for someone to have such a presence of mind. And Luke records what he prays, which kind of helps us with this. What does he pray? Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. That's quite a prayer to pray when people are stoning you to death. 
Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then it says he fell on his knees. Maybe he fell on his knees through worship. Maybe he fell on his knees because he was being battered, one or the other or both. He falls on his knees and he cries out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Remember, this isn't Jesus. This is Stephen, a waiter. Someone who, at every moment prior to this, was in the background. We don't even know at what point he got saved. We don't know at what point he comes to faith. What point? We don't know anything. All we know is that he's chosen among the seven. Yeah, we know that he does stuff, but really he's a waiter. Imagine having the faith and the presence of mind and the deep conviction to follow Jesus' example to the letter. Imagine having that. In a couple of weeks, we will be remembering Ben, Ben Arnold. And uh, it's really interesting because as I was thinking about this and I was reminded of Ben because some of Ben's final words really indicated where he was at. I remember, so now at the time we didn't know, but it probably was two or three hours before he died, Ben shouts out, thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. On the face of it, humanly, what is he thanking God for? He's a 47, 48-year-old man. He's about to die. He's He's got a wife, he's got teenage kids, and yet his prayer is, thank you, Father. You can't pray that without being full of the Holy Spirit. It's ridiculous. It's not human. It's not normal. That is not how people respond. He does not respond with bitterness, with resentment, with anger. He's, thank you, Father. Stephen proves himself, as does Ben, to be a true disciple of Jesus. When Stephen prays, receive my spirit, those words are very familiar to us. Jesus said, when he was on the cross, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus says the same thing. And where does it come from? In I think Psalm 31, David says, I, into your hand I commit my spirit. There is something about acknowledging that at the very, very core of who I am, I can give that bit to God and it goes beyond the physical. It goes beyond the material. It goes beyond this life. Jesus, uh, Stephen was committing what was the core part of him to God. He's committing it there. And then when he prays, don't hold this sin against them. And Jesus says a very similar thing, doesn't he? Jesus says, Father... Forgive them. But not only does Jesus say that, Jesus teaches, love your enemies. But when he teaches that, it's not just a principle that sometimes might be applied. For Jesus, that was real. Love your enemies. John 3.16, that very famous verse, for God so loved the world. Actually, a lot of the world were enemies of God. But God so loved the world. He didn't send Jesus just for those who had already believed. He sent for Jesus that whosoever would believe. God loved the world. Jesus loved the world. Stephen 
shows himself to be a true disciple when he prays in the moment of his death. And it's interesting, all of these these two stories, uh, Jesus on the cross, um, Stephen uh, being stoned, they're all recorded by Luke, the same guy, he records them both, same words, commit, I commit my spirit, Father forgive them. The sentiment that Jesus had, Stephen has. And it's not obvious that Stephen went to some training courses. There's no indication that Stephen was with Jesus. There's nothing to indicate that, apart from he met, he'd obviously met Jesus. But his name doesn't come up until chapter 6 of Acts. His name doesn't come up. That cry for God to receive them was a deep-held belief. Very deep. That cry that you don't hold it against them wasn't just a mantra that Christians said, oh yeah, well I forgive them, because obviously you have to... No, that wasn't a mantra. This was the moment when, if ever there was a moment it was going to be real, it was this moment. If ever there was a moment where what was really in your heart would come out, it was this moment. It was a sign and demonstration that, of what Jesus said. You see, Stephen, and I don't want to overdo this, but I think it's true, was as ordinary as they come in terms of being a disciple of Jesus. He was not obviously with Jesus. He was not one of the apostles who lived with him and acted with him. Not not obviously so. As I say, he was a waiter at the table of the widows. He was one of the seven called to serve. Yet God used him to perform wonders and miracles, gave him such wisdom that that the, the rulers of that day could not stand against his wisdom. You can't help but think, if Stephen could be like that, why can't I be like that? You can't help think that. that If Stephen could be like that, why can't I be like that? Full of wisdom. The passage then tells us that godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. What a wonderful epitaph. Godly men buried him. Because godly men don't bury everyone. People don't always mourn deeply. But godly men buried Stephen. And I want you to try for a moment and imagine that, that, that we've been in this situation. We've watched the crowd. We've watched what happened. And what happened is unthinkable to us because it hadn't happened before. Stephen is the first of the martyrs. No, it had never got this far before. I want you to imagine for a moment, place yourself there. You're one of the seven. Maybe you're one of the others. You're one of the the, the crowd, and yet you're thinking, gosh, they have cut down our best. What are we going to do? They've taken the best that we have. God, we thought you would protect us. They've taken the best. Until this point, they hadn't faced death for the faith. God had rescued them. He had brought Peter out. Peter was in prison. They'd taken him out. God had done some wonderful miracles. But things are turning against the church. It goes from a group of favoured and feared to being hated and hunted. It's changing. But you see, 
Even though that was happening, even though those questions might have been asked, and if we were there, we might have said, oh God, what are you doing? But in God, there is always hope. His word never returns to him without accomplishing what he has set it out for. And then we read a combination of these words. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And Saul approved of their killing him. So Saul is there. Saul is at the point when Stephen is sharing the faith, he's unpacking the faith, he's, he's, he's aligning himself with them, but he's also talking about the rebellion of this generation. Saul is there listening in. Now actually, it doesn't sound like Saul's one of the mobsters who's running around. Saul is a little bit step back, he's much more, okay, we're going to get them now. We're going to get them now. He's much more of a, he's more dangerous He might not stone you, but he'll get 50 other people to do it. He's much much more dangerous. Saul's approving of their killing. On that day, it says, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles are scattered through Judea and Samaria. Saul began to destroy the church. This man's dangerous. It's not the man with the rock that you need to worry about. It's the man whose feet they lay their coats. He's the man you need to worry about. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and he put them in prison. Saul is dangerous. He's there, though. He's there. Stephen speaks out. There is no obvious sign that this message has got home anywhere. It looks like, whoa, the church is in failure. Whilst the church is reeling, possibly fearing its future, God uses the death of Stephen to fulfil his purpose. The church gets scatters, the believers go wherever they can, and because they are so convinced of the faith, they're sharing it wherever they go. They're sharing it wherever they go. They're being witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth, which was exactly what he promised they would do. Saul may have approved or even orchestrated Stephen's death. But maybe also, in that moment when Stephen preached, a seed of the gospel is planted in his heart. He may have been the only evangelistic fruit from Stephen's sermon. Because we know it's not long after that that Saul himself encounters the risen Jesus. And everything changes. Everything. God's word never goes out void. It never just sits out there. It always accomplishes. And maybe it was Stephen's message that brought Saul to that point. You never know what, where and when the seeds you sow will bear fruit. So always sow them. Always sow them. Don't ever think to yourself, oh, well, there's no point in saying it. Don't ever think that, because you don't know. Just that no one would have expected Saul to end up becoming the carrier of the gospel. No one would have thought that. I want to apply this in two ways before we go through a bit of a response, and I'll invite Ruth to come up and lead us through that. Two things that I just want to apply from this text. The first is this. The fairness or otherwise 
of Stephen's lot or Stephen's call. Yeah, The fairness or otherwise of Stephen's lot, Stephen's life. Where did it end up? One day he's appointed as one of the seven and it almost feels like not very long later he's being singled out and eventually he's unjustly killed for his faith. That's difficult. It's difficult for us to receive. Why? Stephen was a godly man. You can tell he's a godly man. Why would would God remove a godly man from the earth in this way? Why would he do that? And some of us will struggle with that. Why? Why did he do that? Stephen had a heart to serve the poor. He's helping the apostles. Surely it would have been fair if Saul had been killed. He had a mean heart. Stephen had a godly heart. Why was that Stephen's lot? I need to just remind us of the faith we profess. Jesus said, if the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. Yeah? If, if I suffered, you're going to suffer. I think the disciples were more aware of that maybe than we can be today. At the end of Acts 5, it says this. The apostles, having been uh, beaten because they were sharing the gospel, left the Sanhedrin rejoicing. Why are they rejoicing? Not because they'd been released, but because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Now, that's quite uncomfortable, let's be honest. Uh, Do you know what? I'd rather not be counted worthy. Yeah, I just, I just, I don't need to do the worthy bit. I'll just be back here. They rejoiced, it says. They rejoiced. Yeah. Now that is so far from how we think that we might need to rethink how we think when we discover that gospel truth is suffering with something that you rejoice over. Yeah, we can get so caught up. Stephen's death though it were difficult, it had the presence of God all over it. He had the Holy Spirit in him, working. It has become an example to thousands of believers, millions of believers. Do you know what the example is? You can hold fast to faith to the very end. You can hold on to the end. Now, that's not to say that you and I are going to go through this. We're probably not going to go through this, but the little things that we go through, the persecutions that we face, the mockery that we get, the little things that you get, you could go, do you know what? I can hold on to the end because I know other believers, they've just held on. They've held on to Jesus. They've held on to the truth. And not only have they held on to the truth, they've had the grace to say, Father, forgive them. Forgive him when he bullies me. Forgive them when he, when he makes those jokes at me or when she says that. Forgive them when they... Forgive them, Father. Because they don't really know what they're doing. We can do that. We can do that. Stephen is an example that we can do that. A real example. A human person. A waiter. We won't suffer like him, but we can have the faith that he had. So faith, you can hold on to it to the very end. The second thing that you need to understand is recognising the presence of God in the direct activity of the Holy Spirit is there for you in difficult days as well as good days. 
This is the ever so slight danger we can have when, we, you know, when you can have Sundays and it's all about experience and presence. Because actually experience and presence, it's good on a Sunday in a meeting when we're singing songs, but it's also there on a Tuesday when I'm being bullied. Or when I'm being harassed. Yeah? Harassment is not a sign that God's not with me. Yeah, or whatever difficulty I'm going through, actually, I can call. What does Stephen do when they are stoning him to death? It says he prays. God can be with you, whatever the situation. And you mustn't think to yourself that if I'm going through difficulties, it's a sign that God isn't there. And when it's going well, it's a sign that God is there. It just doesn't work like that. God, if you are a believer, if you love and trust him, the promise is I'll be with you always to the very end of the age whether it's going well or it's going badly. You've got to hold on to it. That's what Stephen held on to. That's what Jesus believed right here in 2017. That's what Ben believed last year. He believed exactly that. You can hold on to the very end. So we're going to just respond to him now. And it may be that there's something that that's been said today that you want to respond to or, or, or something else. I'm just going to hand over to Ruth who's going to take us through that. You have just listened to a Beacon Church recording. If you would like more information about us, our vision, the team or upcoming events, please visit our website which is beacon-church.org. You can email us at office at beacon-church.com or find us socially on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You are welcome to share this recording as you wish, but please do not make any edits without express consent. Thank you.